in a 20-year study, Harvard study, it was found that your physical health is more determined by your relationships than the food you eat, the Big Mac you just slammed, the exercise for whether or not you're at Pilates, and the genes even that you've inherited. We love a health seminar. We love a health seminar. Thank God tonight we're having a relationship seminar because we have a problem. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're gonna be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are gonna encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. I teach communication courses, and there's a theory in communication that says the more you know about someone, the more likely you are to find yourself liking them. Did you know that? It's true. The more you know about even your worst enemy, the more likely you are to find yourself feeling connected to them, liking them, drawing an affinity towards them. There's another theory in communication, it's called attraction theory. And attraction theory plauses that within the first four minutes of meeting someone, you will make up your mind as to whether or not you like them. That is all we give one another for first impression is four minutes. So I always know the second I open my mouth and start speaking, a clock starts ticking above my head. And in about the next three and a half minutes now, you all will have made up your minds as to whether or not you like me, and it will have nothing to do with my message tonight and everything to do with what I say in the first four minutes. So pop quiz, who was listening? If I want you to like me right now, which I do really badly, if I want you to like me right now, what should I do? I should tell you about myself. So I'm going to tell you about myself in three ways, professionally, educationally, and personally. Those three things will give you a clear idea of who I am professionally. I teach at Andrews University. I teach communication. Um, all right, okay. All right, I didn't expect that. Um, and I also write books. I have published eight books in about the last 10 years. Um, and I, all, I also travel the country speaking at various conferences and seminars and things of that nature. So that is me professionally. Okay, next I'll tell you about me educationally. My bachelor's degree was in journalism. As a child, if you were to read my diary, you would read entry after entry after entry about somebody, I, I need somebody a little bit older in here, about somebody named Barbara Walters. Does anybody know who Barbara Walters is? She was on The View, she was on 2020. I loved Barbara Walters. I wanted to be her. And so when I turned 17 years old, I created this really impressive resume filled with all of my accomplishments, which was nothing because I was 17 years old. And I went to the biggest radio station in Southwest Michigan and I asked them to give me a job. 
And through luck or coincidence or Christ incidents, they actually gave me one. And they gave me this little tape recorder that was connected to a microphone. And I would hang out like in Costco parking lot and wait for you to walk to the car with your mother. And when you would walk to the car with your mother, I would come up to you and say, hey, what are your thoughts on whatever's happening in the evening news cycle? And I'd get a soundbite from you. At 17 years old, I interviewed, it happened to be an election year. So I interviewed senators and congressmen and state representatives because they're desperate to talk campaign strategy with literally anybody, even a 17-year-old kid, as long as you have a microphone. So I went to my producers. After a year of doing that, I went to my producers and I said, you guys, I've got a fantastic idea. You're going to love it. You're going to love this. And they were like, oh my gosh, what? And I was like, well, you should totally give me my own radio show. And they were like, no, we are, no, we're absolutely not doing that. But I kept asking them, and eventually they gave me one. And I had a show on 97.5 Y Country that I did for two years, and then I moved to 98.3 The Coast, and I stayed there for altogether five years. But something happened in my life. I took a general level communication course, and it changed my life. Um, I fell madly in love with the idea that we can study and understand what connects people to other people. I always tell people, the study of communication is the study of relationship building. It's how do we connect an organization to the target market that that organization is trying to reach. And for me as a Christian, I realize I can study how do we connect people back to God and to the church. And so I absolutely loved it. Um, I did my bachelor's degree in journalism and I double majored in communication. I did my master's degree in um, communication with a cognate in psychology and I did my PhD in higher education with a cognate in communication. So that is me professionally, educationally. Lastly, I'll tell you about me personally. What can I tell you about me personally? Um, for starters, I am married to the cutest boy in my sixth grade class. Oh, got him, Seth Michael Day. This is true. In my diary, this is true. Next to lines about Barbara Walters, which is a little weird, I understand. Next to the lines about Barbara Walters, there it said, one day I will marry Seth Day. Um, which my father, who is an evangelist, read at my wedding. And it felt like, I thought it was sweet. Thank you, sis. I thought it was sweet. I love that for you. Yes, I love that for me too. And my students, my students that were like, were you like stalking him for like a decade? A little bit. Mastermind, Amanda. It's a Taylor Swift, you know. I'm also obsessed with Taylor Swift, but that's a whole other conversation. Okay, so that is me. What else can I tell you about me personally? Um, I was expelled. I was the first person to be expelled from my small town Christian school. I was never, ever in high school, in college, I was never the person to lead a chapel. Um, and I'm really passionate about people who would never see themselves as being good enough for God to use. The Bible tells us in Luke 15, seven, that all of heaven rejoices when even one sinner repents. Wanna know my prayer for us this evening? That we would give them something, Lord, to make some noise about. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm going to let my words be few. I just pray that you would fill me with your spirit, and I pray that you would forgive me of my own sin. May nothing stand between you and I in this moment, and I pray that corporately and collectively you would forgive all of us, Father, of our sin. May nothing separate us from you. Speak now, Father. Your servants are listening. In your name, amen. If I was to have a tattoo, I don't. I married somebody with six. I have zero. But if I was to have a tattoo, this is what it would be, Nehemiah 6.9. It's one of my favorite texts. They're trying to rebuild the temple, and they keep getting discouraged. They're trying to discourage them, and it says this. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying, they will drop their hands from the work, and it will never be finished. Here's what I pray almost every single day. Almost every single day when I get up in the morning, I pray now, therefore, Lord, strengthen my hands. May the Lord strengthen our hands this evening. One of the ways that he can do that is through our relationships. Did you know that our close relationships to others is actually one of the biggest influences on our lives? Do you believe me? A team of researchers wanted to study this, and so they brought 42 married couples into a hospital and created several small wounds. This is going to blow your mind. Several small wounds, physical wounds on their arms, and then they place a device over the wounds to measure the rate of healing. The results revealed that it took almost twice as long for the wounds to heal in couples who reported having hostility in their relationships. So I am super dramatic. I'll just warn you ahead of time. But when I say to you that our relationships or our lack of relationship is actually hurting us, not just mentally, but physically, I am not being dramatic. We have a problem. I'm going to show you. I, I love research. I'm a data person, so I'm going to prove it to you this evening and set the stage for everything we're going to do this weekend. We have a problem in our culture and in our society. Because the single biggest predictor of our happiness is whether or not we're in relationship with other people. Gallup found in their 50-year-long study of well-being that the single biggest predictor of what leads to higher well-being is not what you are doing. It's who you are with. There is no greater decision that you will ever make than the people that you choose to do relationship with. We are super intentional about our jobs. We are super intentional about making money. We are super intentional about the house we're going to live in. We are incredibly unintentional about the biggest predictor of our well-being, the relationships that we are going to experience. Check this. This is especially cool, I think, for Adventists. In a 20-year study, Harvard study, it was found that your physical health is more determined by your relationships than the food you eat, the Big Mac you just slammed, the exercise, for whether or not you're at Pilates, and the genes even that you've inherited. We love a health seminar. We love a health seminar. Thank God tonight we're having a relationship seminar because we have a problem. I said this to um, Philip and Kelly when we were 
recording for Sabbath school this morning, but I just think it's really fascinating. Philip said, why do we need relationship? And I said, well, it's funny because we're Trinitarians. Do you understand what that means? We believe that God only exists in relationship. The only way to experience God is through the relationship of the Trinity, and we think we're cool on our own. How can you be a Trinitarian and not deeply value the representation of relationship? It's actually the entire point of why we are here. A Gallup study found that only 30% of employees report having a best friend at work, but that those who do are seven times more likely to be engaged at their job. They submit higher quality work, have a higher well-being, and are even less likely to get injured. In contrast, those without tight workplace relationships have a dismal 1 in 12 chance of being engaged. Oh, this is so interesting. In a Gallup study from 1990, it was found that 26%, so 1990, in 1990, 26% of Americans said, when I'm going through a difficult time, I turn to my friends. Today, that number has dropped by 10%. We are arguably going through more difficult times and only 16%, this is not them, this is not the world, this is us. Only 16% of us say, Trinitarians say when I'm going through a difficult time, when I'm trying to navigate my pornography addiction, when I'm trying to go through a divorce, when I'm just struggling with my depression, I will tell my own friends, what are we doing? And by the way, it's not because we're telling our family. Only 9% of Americans in a difficult time tell their own families. So if we're not talking to our friends and we're not talking to our families, what are we doing? Who do we turn to? 81% of Americans say, when I'm making a huge life decision, I rely on my own research. I Google it. <laughs> We're laughing, but it, 81% of us say when I'm going through a difficult time, I Google it. How do I survive my divorce? What is addiction? How do I get out of depression? Are we? For 81% of Americans, Google is our most trusted ally. I want to tell you tonight, self-reliance is a myth. It's an American ideal, but it's a myth. You want to know how we get through? You talk to somebody who's really been through some stuff. You know how you get through things you swore you would never get through together? The goal can't be to find people who are willing to serve us. Our goal is to become people who are willing to serve others. Our talk is titled, Give Me Your Hand. 
I had a student once this semester. She sat on my couch. She's a senior. First week of school, and she said, I quit. I'm dropping out. I can't do this anymore. Her senior year? I said, what's going on? She said, I'm not financially cleared. It's not going to happen for me. I can't do it. I'm going to have to drop out. I just wanted to come here and say goodbye. I said, Are you? I said, give me your hand. And I walked her down to the financial aid department. And I watched her get financially cleared. When you are by yourself trying to do self-reliance, you will think that you can't go another second. And that should be a sign to you, friend, to turn to somebody and say, I need your hand. Because how do we get through things we swore we'd never get through together? I want to do an experiment. We're going to turn this into my communication classroom. I hope that's okay. I'm going to do an experiment with you. Are you ready? Are you ready? I want you to stretch your arms above your head. You really have to do it, else it won't work. Stretch your arms above your head. Okay, you can put them down. I want you to roll your neck three times and then go to the other side three times. We're going to take three deep breaths. One more. This decreases our physical, neuronal, and emotional stress. When you're ready, we're going to do our experiment. Are you ready? Here we go. Can, can you see it? Some of you, if you're, like, if you're somebody who meditates, you might have actually felt it. You would feel an actual physiological response. I want you to, I'm going to listen to me. Two letters, N-O, give you a physiological response. If you were hooked up to an fMRI machine, in less than a second, your amygdala would have just released dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters. These chemicals immediately disrupt and interrupt your normal functioning your, of your brain, your areas of language and logic and reasoning and processing and communication. Two letters. What do you think happens when you say, I'm fat? He's cheating on me. I know he's cheating on me. I'm never going to finish this program. I am never going to make enough money. When we scream at our parents or our spouses or our siblings, if two letters disrupt your ability to think, what do you think happens when we say out loud the things that we say to ourselves? The more we focus on negative words and thoughts, the more you can actually damage key structures in your brain that regulate your memory. Spending time thinking on negative thoughts can disrupt your sleep, your appetite, and even the way your brain regulates happiness. This is how powerful a single negative word can be to our brains. And when we vocalize these negative thoughts, even more stress hormones are released. We experience increased anxiety and irritability. Your brain, by the way, is wired in the negative. It's how you survive. It is, that's why your boss can tell you like 100 things that you did right, and you'll notice the one thing, the area of improvement. 
You'll notice the one thing that you could improve on. You are wired to think negatively. You have to train yourself to think positively. It is not going to happen naturally for you. The more you expose your brain to negative thoughts, the more it, ad it generates additional negative feelings. Here's something that is wild. Your brain can't distinguish the difference between fact or fantasy. Once you say it, it is as real to your brain as the ground you are standing on. Once you say it, I'm never gonna finish this program. It, your brain doesn't know that you're being dramatic. It has to treat it as if it's a real danger. Vocalizing negative thoughts produces stress, not just in your brain, but in the brain of your listeners. You will both experience increased anxiety and irritability. Let me tell you really quickly about trait transference. Trait transference is essentially what I say, the way you describe others is how people see you. Did you know that? So when you say, Martha is so lazy, oh my gosh. She is so lazy. Those are the same words people ascribe back to you. We should take opportunities. If you see it, say it. If you see something in your classmates that's good, say it. Not only is it good for them, but people will ascribe those same traits back to you. I had a student when I was talking about this once, he was from Cameroon. And he said, oh, Dr. Day, this reminds me of this old Cameroonian proverb. Whatever I piss into the wind blows back onto me. <laughs> yes. Um, Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who eat it love its fruit. At least 134 countries have laws setting the maximum length of the work week. Guess what? The U.S. does not. In the U.S., 85.8% of males and 66.5% of females work more than 40 hours per week. According to the International Labor Organization, Americans work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British workers, and 499 more hours per year than French workers. The U.S. remains the only industrialized country in the world that has no legally mandated annual leave. In every other country, industrialized country except Canada and Japan, workers are mandated at least 20 paid vacation days off. By the way, what do you think happens to work productivity? It goes up. 20 days. In France and Finland, it's 30, an entire month off, paid every single year. Is it any wonder that in the U.S., around three out of five people say, I am more exhausted today than I have been in my entire life? We are exhausted and we are lonely. But how do you get through something you swore you'd never get through together. Our text, as we close out here, is in Exodus. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. It's not just any staff. 
when Moses is at the burning bush, it's the same staff that he throws down that becomes a snake. In our book, I'll See You Tomorrow, Phil Moore talks about how the reign of Pharaoh was marked by a cobra on his crown. There's so much we miss about scripture if you don't understand the cultural context of the time that they were living in. Moses wouldn't have missed it. When God said, throw down your staff and it became a snake, Moses would recognize that God was saying, I will put even Pharaoh into your hand. Take it by the tail. And Moses kept that staff when he goes to the Red Sea. It's the same staff he raises up. I have a question for you. What's the staff in your hand? What's the memory? What's the symbol of what God has done already in your life? It's the same God. It's the same God right now as you sit here and you think there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to get through this. I can't get through this. Pick up the staff. Pick up the symbol in your hand. God says, grab it by the tail. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill as long as Moses' held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Even when we are winning, our hands can get tired. Even when we are winning, our hands can get tired. Scholars believe that her is the brother-in-law, probably the husband of Miriam. And so what happens is Aaron and her come, and as Moses' hands grow tired, they take a stone and put it under him, and he sits on it. And his brothers hold up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. You thought I was... I was talking to you about how you're Moses, but what I'm asking you tonight is not that you're Moses. I'm telling you to be an Aaron. I'm telling you to be her. I'm telling you to stop waiting for somebody to come and save you and start thinking, Lord, where can you send me? God, I can't wait anymore for somebody to take my hand. God, whose hand can I hold? We will waste our entire lives waiting for what's ideal, that we will never do what was still possible. It is only, and this, I need you to understand, this is with the power of God, and it is only with Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms that they can win the battle. There's a message in it. Oh, Father, may you strengthen our hands. Joshua overcame the Amalekite army. Because how do you get through something you swore you'd never get through? Together. And so what I'm asking you 
this evening is to stop thinking about what we can't control. We can't control who will offer us a hand, but we can control and we can choose to offer ours. How can I hold you up? If you were at my chapel, I said, Christ never sacrificed others to save self. He always sacrificed self to save others. You were created in the image of God. And I think we've forgotten, church, what that means. You were created to be an image bearer. You were created, oh, one of my favorite, in Psalms, David says, oh, that my daughters would be pillars. Sis, what do pillars do? They hold things up. May we start living and acting like a church. Let me just say this. We have, the world keeps crying out, where is God? God has always chosen to be invisible because God is seen through his people. If people don't see God, it is not an indictment on God. It's an indictment on us. It means we have failed to be image bearers. So, Father, may you strengthen our hands that we may complete the work. May we actually be a church. May you be visible, Father. Father, may you give us your hand. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.